0: Hello, 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 New Haven, and welcome back to Arts Respond on WNHHLP 103.5 FM New Haven. I'm your host, Lucy Gelman, and I'm very excited to be here with the Reverend Edwin Perez. We will be talking about multiple things about uh, your ministry, Reverend Perez, about your sort of like life outlook or, or life approach. I'm very interested in and drawn to folks who choose to live a life that is so openly through faith, um, because I I think that you probably are holding a lot of things and, and a lot of emotional um, sort of like weights for a lot of people right now, and, and so we'll get into that. But I also want folks to know, if you don't know this name already, uh, that Reverend Perez is among a, a handful of honorees this year um, who will be honored at Anthony's Ocean View on July 26th at 6 p.m., by Puerto Ricans United Inc. Um, if you have questions about that, Harry Drose, who is the wonderful, wonderful station manager here at WNHH, should drop their uh, website in the like the internet thing or the Facebook thing, um, and you can come, you can cheer him on, uh, which is just wonderful. So, Reverend Perez, let's get right into it. I want to know, like, like I want to know about. Um, your life in faith. But first, I want to take it way back. I mean not way, way back because you're young, right? <laughs> um,
1: I think so
0: but but a little bit of the way back. and and talk about your childhood and your upbringing. So I'm wondering if we can start there.
1: For sure. I am uh, well first of all, thank you, Lucy for having me on and uh, thank you to all those who are listening. Um, I was born here in New Haven, Connecticut uh, and was raised for the most part here in New Haven with ties and uh, with a lot of visitation in Puerto Rico and growing up back and forth. My father lived in Puerto Rico and such. But New Haven, um, I joke around and I say that New Haven is New ha- not New Haven, Connecticut, but it's New Haven, Puerto Rico <laughs> um, because of the uh, Boricua presence here. But New Haven has been my home for most of my life. I went to public school here. I was brought up here. Um, and... I'm finishing my third year of the Master of Divinity degree here at Yale University. And um, and so the Haven has a special place in my heart, right? Um, because it has had a, uh, an effect on me, a positive effect in some other challenges that it has presented me uh, growing up. Um, I attended and was brought up in the Pentecostal tradition, attended Second Christian Church, Star of Jacob. At the time, that was the name of the church. Um, and or of salvation when I was younger um, here in New Haven. Um, and that was my upbringing, right? My father was a pastor. My mother and my father weren't together. Um, but I always felt a call, a sense of call to being a pastor. But I have always struggled because my sexual orientation or in, in me and my discovering myself didn't quite fit the mold. And so eventually um, I started seeing women pastors and priests. And then I started seeing. Um, queer pastors and priests, and that slowly started shifting my imagination and orienting it toward a more inclusive uh, way of, of doing theology, of doing religion, of experiencing religion and spirituality. And I have to say that um, I'm quite happy and uh, to be free. Uh, Fully free, not free from myself, but embracing myself and embracing others. And um, as my motto is at the church that I serve, uh, one of the churches that I serve, Manantial de Gracia in Hamden, Connecticut, um, we give grace, right? Because that's what God has given us and what God is for us—grace. So it's a privilege um, and a blessing. That's my that's my upbringing.
0: I I want to ask you about this process of finding yourself because I know right now so I as a reporter I spend a lot of time in schools and students are going through it but I think in some ways students are always going through it and it's hard to be a young person and to realize that you are in any way shape or form um maybe going to be perceived as other whatever that means by your peers and so I'm wondering what your own process of um, like self-realization and, and self-acceptance looked like. Um, and you know, and I hope that there are young LGBTQ kids who are who are listening to this or 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 who find this, um, because it's been my experience that kids will tell me, well, I just didn't feel accepted. Or earlier this year, a young man told me a story about being jumped on the bus because he was expressing who he was. And it broke my heart. Um, so, so I'm wondering, uh, you know, what that looked like for you.
1: You know, um, people wouldn't think that people like me might have uh, struggles, right? Um, even growing up in public edu- public school. Um, because we're in the inner city, right? And so what, what struggles might we have? And, and especially because we're in the Northeast, right? So, you know, how, how bad could it be, right? The South is a lot worse, or Florida is a lot worse, or Texas. or. But um, the fact of the matter is that there is a lot of, uh, socially speaking, I, I was met with a lot of um, expectations, right, uh, that started in the home. Um, It it filtered. It was also in the church community and the religious community that I belonged to at the time. And it was definitely a part of the school system. Um, And so seeing now some of the the hard work that a lot of teachers are doing and um, education professionals and um, administrators and a lot of the work that the kids are doing, that our youth are doing to advocate for themselves, it's so refreshing, right? Because even in the 90s, 90s, 2000s, early 2000s, it wasn't, I didn't see that as much as I am seeing it now. I, I, I it, It's heartwarming for me to see that grow and that zeal grow for advocating for self and for others, even from the, the youthful community. Um, so for me, I was met with a lot of challenges, uh, pressing up a lot of uh, obstacles. Um, those expectations that were placed on me that this is what a man should be or this is what a woman should be or this is the binary, this is what you need to be, uh, this is where you need to fit in. And so those are a lot of pressures and not just from your peers, but from adults, right? Where you are um, shamed into, um, whereas if you don't fit the mold, there's something wrong with you. Um, But thank God for resistance and uh, thank goodness for um, self-discovery and introspection but, th- but that's it, it was quite difficult
0: yeah and and tell me about I mean well, obviously we don't have to share anything we don't want to share um, mm-hmm. I'm a big believer in safe spaces I know some people mm-hmm. bristle at the term safe space but uh, but I'm not one of them so I'm sorry if you bristle at that term um, I get it, that process of self-discovery and then also reconciling it with faith because mm. um, I talked to to a number of people who are in this process of reconciling um, any any number of things that they have discovered about themselves with their understanding of like of God or of the spirit.
1: Yeah um, One of the things that I I recall that was most helpful for me was in one of the most darkest moments of my life um, where I felt really detached um, from my community. I felt disassociated. I felt uh, abandoned from my community because they didn't quite understand um, fully how it is that I felt and, and who I was and how I could exist within the broader community of of church. It wasn't until I separated myself, and I, I always, if I ever write a book about my by autobiography, I'll add this because this is something that will stick forever with me. It was until I removed myself from all of the voices in my head, constantly telling me what to think or how to interpret scripture, or how to interpret social norms, or how to. Once I separated myself my, in my own despair and my own sadness. Um, that is when I, in my own conviction, felt the voice of the divine. And um, I felt nothing but love from the, my understanding of God. And I had worked so hard to change and so hard to not be this thing that was so terrible, according to others, that when I separated myself from all those voices, I was able to hear the, 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 that one voice, that one unifying voice, transcendent voice a voice that transcends and permeates all things that which is unspeakable which is un you you can't explain i felt a love and an embrace that brought me peace and that brought me self-love and that was the first thing so the second thing um was visibility right seeing others making a way, pioneering people like the Reverend Dr. Yvette Flunder, who founded City of Refuge United Church of Christ in California, um, who is my uh, who is my presiding bishop um, of the Fellowship of Affirming Ministries. Um, I am, uh, I was in awe. I was uh, in wonder. Um, I felt uh, a sense of wonder when I was able to come across people that were similar people that I could identify with, people of a community of color um, that may identify as queer, may have identified as queer, who have found a way to reconcile their faith in in sexuality, orientation, other things that were able to come together and and bring that, make that synergy in a way that's so life-giving and so freeing. And so it was those two things. My separation from all of the voices telling me what to think and how to interpret things so that I could find my own voice and I can find my own inner voice and the voice of God for me. And secondly, um, seeing others, seeing others, being aware that you're not alone. Right. So those were the two things that really affected me in a positive way.
0: Do you feel like the spirit also, like your notion, I guess how, how unchanging or changing has been that notion of the spirit, because it, like I, I talk to depending on who you talk to, and I'm I'm sure that in the church this is like, head exploding, right? Um, when you talk to people about, um, God and about the Bible and about the teachings of Jesus, I often find that people have like two hundred and fifty thousand different working de- definite, and I'm like whoa 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 whoa, um, and like the like the Jesus I understand. Um, or even this notion of spirit, um, whatever that may mean to you, um, is very different than how some people are are interpreting it. And so I'm wondering if that also has changed for you during this process of like self-acceptance, but it also sounds like the just like the the radical and whole acceptance of of those around you as well.
1: Yeah. Um, I will say that um, I will always say and always profess, that my sexuality or my sexual orientation has been a gift, and it has been a gift from beyond, and um, from the the most profound um, places that that God is and exists in, and uh, simply because it it also opened me to other possibilities. It, if i was wrong about my sexuality and if i was wrong about my orientation or my concept of being a faithful christian or faithful religious person uh, or a faithful disciple of jesus or of god um then i pretty soon i began to soon after that i began to really ask more questions and i started seeing scripture differently uh didn't mean that i took that i take scripture um uh, that I don't take scripture seriously. I take it very seriously. Heck, I'm a pastor. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I pastor two congregations and lead um, uh, the Latinx ministries uh, in my denomination, the United Church of Christ. So uh, this is what I live for. I live for people. I live to serve. I live to uplift um, the oppressed. To set the captives free. To work against oppression. To be anti-racist. To be um, to lift up the LGBTQ community my fellow LGBTQ community. Um, to defend the immigrant, right? These are the things that are um, intricate, that I understand now as being intricate to my interpretation of scripture. And so um, I, I understand that people have all sorts of takes and interpretations. We have denominations that have birthed from schisms and um, disagreements on dogma or doctrine. Um, but I, I don't think that we can get at an, a, a good interpretation without thinking or considering um, the, le- the, quote unquote, the least of these or who is affected the most. You can't begin to do that interpretive work unless you start thinking about ethics. right? And I think that ethics and morality, what's, what's right, um, has to be included in our experience of doing religion. If we're going to do religion well, without hurting others, without harming others. So that was a long-winded answer, but that's No, that's,
0: uh... it don't no. I, I love long-winded answers. Um, <laughs> and I I feel like we could probably talk about this for four hours. Cause I want to say some some folks are also um totally allergic to that approach, mm. to an approach that integrates ethics and morality. And I I would go so far as to say, like I personally I don't think that that things like supporting immigrant rights and open borders should be uh deeply political that's just like like basic human rights right um but we are living in a in a country and in a time when that has become political and some people are like yo keep your politics off the pulpit um do you ever find yourself actually i know that you find yourself having conversations uh you know about the way you have chosen to minister and I'm wondering if we can move into talking about about that and your your faith leadership um, yeah
1: yeah yeah um I, one of the things that have um, have united the Latina community uh, and I use Latinx latina interchangeably um is the experience of uh, migration. I'm not going to say immigration, but because uh, Puerto Ricans, for instance, are um, are natural citizens, are, are, are citizens by um, that, you, whether you're born in Puerto Rico or here in the mainland, you have citizenship. But we know what it is and what it's like to experience discrimination by moving, being of a different language, of a different culture, of a different world, um, so to speak. Um, we know what it is to face those, disc, this, you know, discriminations and those um, racism and uh, all those isms and phobias. So migration, movement, and so in that we there is a, a sentiment of sympathy um, and of empathy and compassion a lot of times for other siblings that are of the Latin American community. One of the things that I have focused on very heavily has been here in Connecticut, has been the sanctuary movement during the Trump era. And even after, during our Biden era, um, there are still opportunities here and very deep wounds that um, not just Latin Americans, but others at the Southern border specifically are are suffering. um, Some of which have made their way up here right? In Massachusetts and Connecticut, uh, many uh, uh, whom are simply uh, are looking to live, to have the simple right to exist as human people. And I think we have a larger responsibility. And this is what has informed my ministry and my work. We have a larger responsibility to our humanity, our common humanity than we do to our patriotism or false patriotism. Um, where we want to wave a banner and and, and it, it causes so much polarity and so much turmoil. Um, and a quick mention about the whole political versus, you know, I, I think that um, we have to be, and I think we have to be in a sense political because our people are hurting. Our people are dying. Um, people are being abused. People are being uh, neglected. As they cross the border, as they are in custody of uh, Border Patrol, our um, we have to keep in check our institutions of public safety. We have to have, but we have to be involved with our politics. People, you can't just simply vote and think that that's all. Why I did my due diligence, is I voted. Pay attention, pay attention. I think there is a duty for us to care for one another. Um, some would agree, disagree, and me in my own faith. What my faith has led me to believe that we do have a duty to uh, look out for one another. Um, I am a communitarian. I, I believe wholeheartedly in community. I don't believe that anybody gets anywhere without community. And that's what religion has given to me. And so that's what I try to give through religion and through faith. Um, we look at the movements, that, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., um, The faith move, the faith community was monumental in the efforts of civil rights. And now as, as we expand and now we, uh, we gravitate toward human rights and, and more wholesome rights for people and individuals, it, it is the faith communities that either can do harm or can do good. And so I, ha- I have been willing to stay within the realm of, of religion, right, the, the realm of, of the relig- of religious work to do the parallel work that a lot of wonderful and amazing gifted and anointed people out in the world, maybe doing through their office, through their uh, careers. They may not be ministers, but they are the ministers of the world. They are helping the world, serving the world in so many different ways. And so I have advocated for um, asylum seekers here that had been at risk of deportation, um, like Nuri Chavarria some years ago, uh, Nelson Pinos. um, uh, Among others, I've been at the border with the groups within the Latinx ministries across the country in my denomination and have brought resources down to uh, the Angry Tia Senabuelas, an organization at the southern border in Reynosa, Mexico. Um, and I will continue to do that until I die and I might relocate eventually. Sorry, New Haven. I love you, but um, I want to be where I want to be where the fight is. And if this is the fight that I've that I've been called to fight, so to speak, um, I want to be, I want to cause trouble. Um, I want to cause holy trouble and I want to keep doing it because um, even though we may not see a utopic future ever fulfilled, it's about the, it's about the, the work. It's about the process. It's about people like, um, I, I'm going to include you, Lucy, you and I that are interested perhaps in these topics and these things um, because we care we care for ourselves. We have learned to care for ourselves and we care, we care about others and we can connect on that level. So,
0: There's so much I want to ask. Um, at first, I, I want to remind listeners that if you're just joining us or if you've been with us here, this is WNHHLP 103.5 FM New Haven. It's Arts Respond. on a Beautiful, sunny. Yeah, it's not raining anymore Friday. And I'm your host, Lucy Gelman. I'm here with reverend edwin perez um edwin i want to ask you about your time working in education as well but i want to go back to something you said which is i want to go where the fight is and there are some days when i'm like well is the fight everywhere Mm -hmm. and so tell me tell me about that process also i like selfishly um it would make me sad if you relocated, but also you would have so much support from people who, who love you and who support your work and who just want to see you succeed, whether you are here or you are at the Southern border or you are in California, like in anywhere in this country or in another country. Um, yeah. I, I don't doubt that. I think New Haveners roll hard for other New Haveners, whether they're here or whether they're doing the the good work, the holy work somewhere else. Um, mm-hmm. But for you, where is that fight? Because some days to me, it feels like the whole country is at war.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I should I should rephrase and I should um, specify that um, my fight, my way of fighting or my what I have been called to my angle of the fight. Um, I believe, is um, immigration and LGBTQ. There are a lot of LGBTQ immigrants um, that are facing even more neglect and more at risk than others because of discrimination. A lot of churches that are building camps like Senda de Vida and Reynosa, Mexico and also Matamoros, um, that God bless them for their work and they're amazing, but they are conservative Christians um, in in Mexico and, and... they're not necessarily, we have bias, we all have bias, right? And so um, it's quite sad and quite difficult um, to see that take place. And while the fight exists everywhere, and we are no better, uh, and for example, racism, it doesn't mean simply because we're up here in the North doesn't mean that racism doesn't exist here. I've seen it firsthand, I've walked in uh, a restaurant or walked in a store and speaking Spanish or um you know or with my siblings who are darker and I've heard slurs and and things that um and even and honestly the blatant racism um for example is not even the most dangerous. I think the most dangerous racism is this subversive racism, the 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 uh there's a word in Spanish clandestino, clandestine, clandestine uh hidden racism, the one that you know, under the table, where you get shanked under the table, or behind your back without expecting it, or the kinds that are in our policies, the kinds that are, um, I advocated some time ago for the legalization of recreational marijuana, and I got so much pushback from the community, especially the Latine religious community, how dare you, people who I grew up with, who were my Sunday school teachers, how dare you do this, And this? and I and I said, listen, I love you. But I would encourage you to educate yourself because our folks are hurting Latinos and blacks are hurting the most because of these laws. And so this is not no longer a public safety. this is this is a public health issue, not a public safety issue. So if you're concerned about addiction, let's pour resources there, right And so that's some of the things that I my pet peeves, right? So but in terms of the fight, yes, the fight is happening everywhere. but one has to discern where one's, uh, efforts should go uh, because we can't do it all right um, there are so many things to fight for but I think each and every person in every community have been has have been equipped um, for particular tasks and have been uh, given wisdom and uh, knowledge and the tools to address certain disparities and injustices and we all do it differently but
0: yeah no I I would agree with that um and so let's let's also get into your work in education because you have been um, an ESOL. So for for folks who don't know, that's English for students of other languages. Um, teacher or educate? I don't know what the proper term is. The New Haven Public Schools have like eighty different classifications of like people who are in schools. I want to be like, can we just say teachers? Everyone's a teacher, but this. Yeah. This division between uh, paraprofessionals and teachers is pretty arbitrary. Anyway, that's a different show. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and then you've, you've also worked um, with the Board of Education in the city of New Haven, which is no small feat because it is yeah. a difficult governing body. And, yeah. and so I would love to hear about how you're called not only to faith, but to education, or perhaps those two things live yeah. alongside each other.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. These days I have, I focus solely on my religious work as a clergy person, but there was a time where I was bivocational and I had been working for the city of New Haven for quite a while. So public service has always been a passion of mine, whether in the religion or the civic, the civil work. Um, I I worked as a bilingual administrative assistant, bis- business manager. I I did um, Title One grants and funds. I worked with a school principal um, at the time at went to Colero at Fairhaven School, and I was there for a few years. And I also taught in, in an after-school program. And then soon after that, when I started my master's uh, um, here at Yale, I, I decided to just teach part time, and so I became a ESOL teacher, um, resource teacher, educator, instructor. I don't know. Um, all I know is that I did the work, um, but I did that briefly, and I got to tell you, I could not, I will let, confess to you all, consider this my right of confession to you all, that I could not, I just couldn't, I could, it wasn't for me, I wasn't, and I have a tremendous amount of respect for all of my, all of the teachers that I used to work with, that I that that's, are still there, um, tremendous respect for what they do for with so little, um the 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 word frugality is would would be an understatement, right? Because beyond resourceful, uh, these teachers do uh, we have a saying in Spanish, that hacen de tripa corazones, you know, they make hearts out of other organs, intestines, or and other, you know, they rummage and make make what you know make ends meet somehow. Um, but they make it happen. And it's not right that they have this pressure, it's not right that they have this um such difficulty um so what that taught me was um i got to see how life's issues life's uh, uh conflicts um all, uh, imperialism and all the isms and and how how things have permeated racism and, Uh, xenophobia have permeated all institutions not just the religious institution but our schools our public health systems our politics and you know everything is is affected by all of the social ills that we face today so um I just honestly I am glad I'm grateful for the opportunity that I had to do so some of the kids that I had I just I my heart breaks a lot of the students that I had were asylum seekers, were children of refugees, they were themselves refugees. And some of the things that they would share and some of the things that I would know simply by knowing of their demographics, um, it's just heartbreaking, heartbreaking. And for anyone who has had the opportunity to to really work one-on-one and with with this population and with these people and with with our students, um, that may be of these experiences, it's very difficult for one not to be compassionate if one is to really listen and, and and serve.
0: I also want to know about your decision to go back to school.
1: Yeah, so I, I came, when I left the Assemblies of God or when I, when I left the Pentecostal tradition, my family was also, some were Catholic, but mostly Evangelical and Pentecostal. Um, when I left, um, it was very important for me to become to educate myself and to expand my, uh, my bank of knowledge and to continue to to do to do so. Um, and for me that meant going to a mainstream theological um, institution. Um, that that isn't all that I thought it would be. <laughs> uh, that the, the Westernization of knowledge, right? And in, uh, in, in epistemology, right? The, the, the theories of knowledge and how one can know things. And um, I have challenged myself, um, but I mainly wanted to expand my thinking more than what I had already been able to um, by coming into contact with others of different faith traditions, being in an ecumenical ex- environment and not so much in a seminary that was very siloed, right? A lot of denominations tend to do that, especially the more right-leaning evangelical. Um, Even the ones of color um, tend to be more siloed in their own. They tend to prepare their own folks. It was very important to me to attend an ATS uh, ATS accredited institution, ATS is Association for Theological Schools, and to approach it academically, to approach theology, approach um, ministry from an academic standpoint, and discipline, um, and that's not to say that all of the answers, you know, uh, mainstream edu- uh, theological education has all of the answers. No, um, or that it's perfect, or that it's awesome, or that it's all awesome. Nope. What it means is that um, I now can use the tools and understand the system and understand, uh, I- I assess more things and continue to think deeply and to work through my own working theology and understanding to be effective in the world and do what I I feel I'm, I'm called to do.
0: Yeah, um I oh, I have many questions. Um so one is, is I I want to ask you just about your current faith work and uh, not to tell anyone's stories because I I don't believe in doing that when, when people are not here, but sort of some of the things you're seeing, because we're at this moment, like people have always been struggling, right? For the history of mm-hmm. history, people have been struggling. Mm-hmm. But one thing I've been hearing from people um, across generations, not just young people, not just old people, is them saying some version of like, I am not okay. And I'm wondering if that shows up in your faith work.
1: Yeah. Um I would encourage you to rephrase the question for me.
0: Um I am interested in some of the things you are seeing, hearing and responding to as you are listening to you know it it strikes me that one of the things a faith leader does is listen deeply. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And respond and try to be that emotional anchor for many people. Mm-hmm. Their house of worship, whether it is a physical space or mm-hmm. um, or not a physical space, is is their anchor. It is like the thing keeping them yeah. here. Does um, is is that better? Is that more succinct?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Um, even though I grew up, I, I, I grew up here. Spanish was still my first language. <laughs> And it's funny how that happens, but, um, but, but yes. So sometimes it takes oh, another way of thinking about things. Um, you know, I, I will say this: uh, church is changing, and many churches are forced to, as others continue to grow, because a lot of toxic things are popular, right? Um, and pe- people want to, you know, uh, perpetuate. It's just harm perpetuates harm. And there are things that are good about community and about faith, um, very good. But I also think that we are in a time and place where people feel so disconnected, especially beyond millennials, forget about millennials, Gen Zs. I, and, and not that I want to speak for every Gen Z because because I'm not and I can't, but if generationally, I, I think we're seeing... Uh, in the religious community those who are doing research around ministry and churches and religious spaces are seeing that churches are changing and they they need to change because things are new things are emerging um as the same issues continue to try to perpetuate itself in different ways and um it's like a a, a virus that learns or, or a bacteria that that gets accustomed to the anti uh, to the um what is it, the antibiotic or something, or, you know, and, and it it just becomes more resistant and just looks for a different way to continue to perpetuate and to grow and to continue to harm, right? We also need to emerge. um, And we also need to change, adjust, and um, not just to remain relevant, to be, to be popular, to be, or to have a contingency or some sort of following or It's not about likes and follows and it's not about that. It's about the work. It's about the dignity of people. And that means that we have to rethink the ways in which we're doing church. Right now, um, we've decided not to meet every Sunday at Manantial de Gracia for the summer and to focus on missions for the next few months. I think that we need to rethink our existence as, as a religious community and people fear new things, new iterations of, of what it means to be religious. Um, I'm here to say that there's nothing, there are beautiful things about being religious. I, I know that it's popular to say I'm spiritual but not religious, but religion is what makes you accountable, um, religious community, right? So because re, re, religion is to me is that I'm spiritual, but my, re, my religious aspect of experience is me being spiritual with other spiritual people. It's me helping other spiritual people, coming together to do stuff. To do positive stuff, so I'm here to redefine what religion means. I'm here to re-pave a way, um, not only by myself, but because of my ancestors, because of those who came before me and did some a lot of work. I stand on those shoulders, and I'm here to continue that work of expanding our notions of what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a faithful religious person, what it means to be a, a person who believes in God or the divine or whatever. Have you.
0: Um. And also how, in all of this, how are you taking care of yourself?
1: I take time. I, uh, let me tell you that years ago, I would have a difficult, if you were to ask me this question five years ago, I would have a difficult time responding. Uh, uh, But I love to travel. I love to travel. And so I take, if I have a weekend, even if it's just for two days, I'm going out to New York, I'm going out to Virginia, I'm going out to see my sister, I'm going out to Agorah, Puerto Rico. Um, I love to travel. I do what I enjoy. And my word of advice to anybody is find what you enjoy, make time, put it in your schedule, Um, because you want to, you have to be reminded what you're fighting for about what you're fighting for. And so if you're always caught up in the fight, and you don't allow yourself that sabbatical that that moment of rest, you won't replenish to get anywhere you won't get far.
0: And the last question I want to ask you, Reverend Perez, is is also like, how do you because also you're being honored for for your commitment to community service, which is so abundantly clear to me as we have this conversation. How do you celebrate and, and also how does it feel? Um, you know, to receive this honor from PRU. Uh, and for folks who don't know, or or maybe who weren't with us at the beginning of the show, PRU is Puerto Ricans United. It is a wonderful, wonderful group of folks in New Haven um, on July 26th at 6 p.m. They are having a gala at Anthony's Ocean View. Um, and then on August 12th, I'm going to say all day. It, it probably starts at like 11 a.m. But basically, you should plan to be there all day. Bring your dominoes, bring your launcher, bring a cooler of water because you're going to need it. They uh, will have their annual festival on the New Haven Green, and it is such a joyful occasion. Um, how do you celebrate? How do you experience joy?
1: Uh, well, well, first of all, I'm so honored and humbled by the nomination, first of all. You know, you don't, I don't tend to do things for recognition. I do things because it, it makes me feel good, because it makes me feel like I'm making a difference. Um and you don't have to be a mega church pastor. You don't have to be a leader of a national uh, nonprofit. You don't have to be at the forefront. You don't have to be Cornell West. You don't have to be William Barber, Reverend Dr. William Barber II. You don't have to be um, you know you don't you don't have to be at in the limelight to make a difference. And so the fact that I would be even thought of and the small work that I consider small but meaningful and impactful of volunteering at the Pride Center, of working with the Pride Center, of doing workshops with the Pride Center, and with the immigrant community, and doing these things—it's um, it, nice. It is quite nice for PRU and organizations like PRU to shine a little light in some of the some of the um, areas that um, where people do work, and sometimes it goes unnoticed, right? Um, and so I hope that we continue that trend of recognizing others, right? That are doing work in the shadows or behind the scenes, behind the curtain. Um, because without it, we can't get to where um, we need to be.
0: Um, and and just the other part of that is joy. Like what's, what's giving hmm. you joy? And it can be anything, it can be like a book or a song.
1: What's giving me joy um, well, I have to say that my partner, um, who, uh, moved here to, right, to Connecticut from Florida, um, um, uh, a new relationship, uh, we had been friends for several years. It gives me quite a lot of joy. Um, and, uh, my best friend, uh, Jordan, if, if you're hearing this, thank you <laughs> for being my pastor, <laughs> for being my, my person, um, and, and my family, uh even though we don't see eye to eye the love and respect that we share and even with the distance that we sometimes need to take to take a breath and to family family and and being able to come together despite not liking x y or z still figuring out a way to come together and to speak to talk to figure out how we can be in close proximity with one another and how we can take care of each other we're still learning but those are the things that to me is everything familia es todo family is everything
0: thank you so much for spending this time here with me um thank you. people can catch you at um, i'm going to make sure i get the your website right it's the com. Uh, yeah. um and we will drop that in all of the all of the things on the internet
1: yes yes yes
0: um okay yes so I was I was like, where where do links go? Um and uh, and I will see you not next week, but in two weeks on the 26th at 6 PM. If you are listening to this and you think, huh, I'd like to buy tickets. This sounds like a good night. It will be a good night. You can buy tickets to you can buy tickets by going to pruinc.org. Um, or there's an event, Bright, if you check out Puerto Ricans United, Inc. on Facebook, it will lead you to the event, Bright. Reverend Edwin Perez, thank you so much for spending time with me thank here you. today on Arts Respond. I hope the sun stays out. Um, have a beautiful weekend.
1: Thank you. Blessings. Blessing.